Hey, this is Donald, and you're listening to episode two of the Voices podcast. Today we talked to Matt Edminster from Rapla, Estonia. He's lived in country for 17 years, and I think you're really going to be encouraged and challenged by where this conversation goes. And I think you get a glimpse of the depth and quality of ministry that's happening in the field uh, through alongside. Um, I'm eager for you to hear about Matt's experience and um, what he's learning about the church and his perspective, his hopeful perspective about um, where we are in Europe and in North America. So uh, with that, here's Matt. story a little bit. How did you make it from Carroll College in Montana to Tallinn, Estonia? Well, there's the backstory is, of course, much longer than could be fit into this podcast. But um, the short answer to that question is that after university, I was uh, I had every intention of going to medical school. I had trained for that. And that was my what I aspired to do with my life. Uh, but through my university years, I'd also been involved a lot in a campus ministry, uh, actually in kind of an alternative cam- campus ministry. I was on a Catholic campus, which was actually a fantastic experience, and I grew a lot from that experience and that exposure. Mm-hmm. But I belonged to a um, kind of evangelical uh, group, an evangelical fellowship. We conducted Bible studies and and uh, so, and I think from the beginning, we thought of ourselves kind of as a, um, as a missionary uh, witness on this Catholic campus until I discovered later that there were some really serious believers there that, uh, that we had a lot to learn from. Mm-hmm. So in the midst, in the process of all that, uh, a number of people that had be, become mentors to me during that time uh, separately came to me and, and suggested that I think about the ministry. And... Um, I think I was attuned in some ways to that. I was open to that. Um, but I really was convinced at the time that my place was in the doctor's office, even though my descriptions of, of that calling were becoming more and more about touching people at the intersection of, of their their spiritual life and their health. The whole person was becoming more and more interesting to me. I thought, well, I might as well try out this ministry thing. And so I gave it a two-year shot. I had heard of alongside ministries all throughout my youth because my church had supported alongsiders. My youth pastor had gone to to Scotland with alongside ministries. And so I called up alongside. They had an internship program that they had just started uh, called being under care of alongside ministries. So you would be uh, on the field for three months and then you'd come out for a month of debriefing and you'd continue in that cycle for two years. And the whole idea behind it was that it was a way of discerning a calling for ministry. Mm-hmm. So I signed up and they sent me to Estonia. And that was my introduction to Estonia. And that was all I knew of Estonia. Really, I signed up for the alongside program 
and Estonia was uh, was a side note. At least it began that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, when was that? So that was in 1997. The application process was in 1997 uh, and 98. And then I arrived, I think, for my first time in the winter of 1998, early 1998, uh, and then came back later that year to be installed uh, as, a, as a youth intern. Mm-hmm. So between the late 90s and 2016, um, that's a, that's a big span of time um, of living cross-culturally. I know you took a brief... Uh, stint in Vancouver, BC for seminary, but um, primarily have have been in Estonia um, since the late 90s. And I just wonder how how living in another culture has helped you become a better pastor and, and more effective in ministry. Well, I think it's I think it's been critical. I think it really has been probably the most important contributor to my well, to my identity as an adult, uh, and then also to my identity as a minister, uh, it's been it's been my um, it's been my ego medicine hmm. all throughout my life. And and looking back on it, um, I think the the cross cultural lifestyle, the cross cultural crucible, has been really really important in in making me into, into the kind of person that I needed to be. Um, just to fulfill my calling, wherever that may be. That could be in the United States too, but but I, I think it's been really formative. And I part of that is language. Um, in relinquishing my mother tongue, uh, in which I feel like I have a, a certain amount of freedom and fluidity and confidence, uh, you release that when you move into another culture. At least when you when you move in with a with an eye to integration. Uh, to immersion, and then you take on uh, this this strange foreign tongue that at times feels like mud in your mouth, mm-hmm. and uh, and in the role of a pastor, you need to have um, you need to have some comfort, you need to have some some confidence with your words, and I think one of the things that's been a spiritual dis- discipline for me is to trust not in my uh, ability to speak. Or my ability to to word things well, but to put my trust in uh, the message that I'm trying to to proclaim, or to put my trust in what the spirits put on my heart. A lot of times when I step into the pulpit, I feel very weak. I feel like I am not the one that should be trying to verbalize these things, and so there's a constant ego battle that goes on. But I think that's become a healthy thing. It's like. Uh, uh, it's like a you know a daily regimen of um, of kind of taming the ego and and learning to be content with your with functioning within your weakness. Mm. Um, and then I think the other thing that's that's been really important about this is um, in a similar way learning to live uh, in the space between two cultures. Uh, I have a, a friend here that I've I've met and we've developed a friendship. He's he's an American man that lives in in our town here in Rapla. He's a businessman, and uh, we talk a lot about the about surviving in a cross cultural situation. Having been here for 17 years, I've kind of oscillated between um, 
between rejecting my own culture, my American culture, and and favoring the Estonian culture, and then I'll flip months later or years later, I'll flip and I'll think, God, oh, this Estonian thing is so stupid. If they could just do it like the Americans, they would, you know. And that oscillation went, uh, you know, it's kind of kind of like uh, when you get a pendulum swinging back and forth in the beginning, it swings dramatically from one side to the next. And then eventually they become much more uh, small. You're, you're in a, almost in a vibration between the two extremes. And in that vibration between the two extremes, I have felt like, um, like I have been challenged to give my loyalty not to the two cultures that I live between, but to the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And and I've found, especially in recent years, both in Estonia and in the United States, that has become a real contrast. Who do I owe my allegiance to? Do I owe my allegiance to the kingdom of God? or to uh, the American culture or the Estonian culture. And when they come in conflict, uh, where am I willing to go? And the cross-cultural situation, I think, brings those things into, um, brings those things into, into view on a daily basis. Hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I think living for the kingdom of God is maybe what we all aspire to. Uh, laity or clergy or just uh, people who follow after Christ um, so I wonder if there's like if there's something there to unpack about um, what it is um, about living cross-culturally that perhaps we can like build out for people who aren't <laughs> about um, l living for the kingdom and not for the culture um, and maybe whatever insight you've gleaned kind of practically about what that means in your life. Absolutely. I, I think um, I think you're right about that, that this isn't just something that maybe it gets highlighted for me uh, because my, my life is in um, kind of these positional ministries uh, and that gets highlighted in a way, especially on the verbal side of things. But you're right in that I think that's really kind of a longing for for many of us is to is to have His kingdom come uh, wherever it is that we're ministering and how whether it's in the workplace or in our homes or or in the pulpit or you know wherever that may take place. And I think um, I think one thing that's unique about the cross cultural situation that um, that maybe. Uh, how do I put this? The cross-cultural situation uh, basically doesn't allow you to escape tensions that we're able to escape in our own culture. So, for example, if I'm living in the United States and I decide to volunteer three months of my time at Union Gospel Mission, uh, I leave my home, I leave my comfort zone and my weekly routine, and I go for a certain amount of time to Union Gospel Mission. And while I'm there... I have these experiences that, that do not fit my way of thinking. And so as long as I can keep those compartmentalized at the Union Gospel Mission and go home at the end of the night, then they don't really begin to challenge my sense of who I am or whether, uh, whether God's kingdom is really coming in, on earth as it is in heaven, whether I'm allowing that or whether I'm restricting that. So I can go home to my home culture uh, which basically accounts for the majority of my of my weekdays, 
And this, well, I guess the term that the philosophers use is cognitive dissonance. So when you, when your understanding of things gets challenged, uh, as long as I've got a place to go home to at night that's familiar, that I don't really have to think about that. It's a challenge that exists for me only when I'm within that building and in that in that kind of ministry. But um, I think there's something to be gained from letting that dissonance, that cognitive dissonance, last, and and having to uh, allowing ourselves to really engage in the questions that we're pushed on. Um, even so far as, as having them kind of change the way that we function in our own reality. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if that answers the question. But no, that's, I think that's good. Yeah. I, I sometimes long when I'm back in a familiar place for those circumstances that would push me out of my comfort zone and then hold me there long enough that I have to grow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think this is maybe a transition to um, really the Estonian church. And uh, I mean, you work as a local pastor. And so um, I'm interested to know like what what's currently giving you hope um, for the, the church in Estonia and maybe for, for your local congregation as well. Like what, what signs of life and fruit um, are there? I think when we talk about the European church as a shorthand, um, we we think of some dead and dying thing. Um, but I know there's fruit and that there's um, discipleship and people who love the Lord. So um, what's encouraging you? What's giving you hope right now? Well, before I go specific to our church, I mean, there are lots of things we could talk about, but but I would like to talk about the church. But before I do that, I would say that my my sense of the European situation is that it's no less um, it's no less troubling than the North American situation, but they're troubling in different ways. So mm-hmm. in the United States, I feel like we're panicked about about the loss of the church that we're watching as it kind of as it as it melts away like a, like glaciers are melting away in the mountains and so we know that it's happening that there that that ice mass is less and less every year and eventually it'll all be run off and the seas will rise and the churches will have disappeared um so we kind of uh, cling to this this you know fading what we what we think is a fading church in estonia it's more like um like looking out over a clear cut uh and maybe this is true of Europe as well, but in Estonia, it's like looking out over a clear cut that's recently been replanted. And so you've got all these little saplings that uh, that haven't yet begun to create what, what would be considered a forest. What you see is stumps or, you know, a few standing trees uh, all on their own. Um, but we're, we're replanting. We're at the beginning of some things, and those those trees that are still standing are incredibly important, and uh, and even you know the shrubbery that's there mm-hmm. provides ground cover. So, uh, but the but the fact is that in both places, I think that there's something of a reformation going on. Um, circumstances like these, challenging circumstances like these, put us in the in the really privileged position of taking stock of of where we are what's going right, what's not going right, and then making the changes that we need to because we have to. Uh, 
And when you're in a situation where, where you're not stressed by circumstances, then you don't have to do that. And so we become complacent. So I think both continents are in a really good position with only hopefulness in the future if we are willing to make the changes. So in our little church, just to make that local, our little church is just like many other churches in Estonia. We do what we can on a regular basis to try to proclaim the gospel and try to try to live it out in a local way. And um, about a year ago, we went through a process of, uh, of evaluation where we had a, a consultant come, a consultant team come and evaluate our church on a number of levels. And the picture that they gave was partly encouraging and partly, you know, we saw that there was a lot of work to be done. And so we spent the year, last year, uh, uh, kind of working through three of the points, three points that they put in front of us. The result of that process was a renewed sense of vision, uh, a renewed sense of um, commitment to the gospel, to proclaiming the gospel. And... Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're still working through some of the other recommendations that they had. But this year in particular, we felt like we need to really kind of focus on what it means for us to be God's church. Uh, so our, our motto at the end of this last year was that we are a, um, it doesn't really translate well <laughs> deeply in, in English, but uh, we're, we're God's open family. It sounds like, no. <laughs> but, uh, but but no what we mean by that is that we're is that we're gods we belong to him we belong to the triune god and that informs everything about who we are uh we aspire to be open uh not only open in the way of being receptive to new people that come but also open and engaging with the people around us actively and then a family in the sense that we're committed to one another and committed to truly being the body of Christ. Okay. So we've had that in front of us, but the real sense this year was that we needed to be growing in our sense of what it means to be God's open family. And uh, there have been some really amazing things that have happened over the year, glimpses where I, I feel like God has kind of cracked the door for us to see um, places that we need to grow, and even more than that, it's not you know it's not about uh, kind of upping our game. It's more like he's inviting us into um, inviting inviting us into a new kind of intimacy with him and function mm -hmm. uh, to to reflect his character more in our daily life and the way that we function as a church and the way we reach out to people. We've just had a really fantastic month of May. Uh, had some people come from uh, Dunamis, which is a, a branch of uh, Presbyterian Reform Ministries International, came and put on a couple of seminars for us that were just transformational, really, really beautiful. And um, it kind of gave us a, a, a sense of, of potential calling, ways that we're meant to be engaging with the brokenness of our neighbors and and our own brokenness. So, I mean, there is this landscape, you know, when you look out over the landscape, it's easy to get discouraged, but, but, you know, the thing is, is that we are in the, we're in the business of sowing seed and seed sowers don't always get to see what they glean. They don't always get to, to come back and reap. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
And uh, but from time to time you get a glimpse, and from time to time you get to reap. And um, yeah, there's some good stuff. I feel like we're in a good season where we get a little bit of both, and we're being prepared for kind of the next the next season of of ministry. Mm-hmm. So my my real desire for Ropla Church is is two things. One is that we would somehow taste what it really means to be the body of Christ, not just diverse giftings cooperating together, but to really be his body, uh, so identified with him that, that um, so identified with him and so well connected to one another that, uh, that we look like redemption, that we, we, we feel like, like reconciliation. Um, and that that would be something that really touches, that begins to really bless this this kind of burnt landscape. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's great stuff happening. We have some challenges coming. Our youth ministry is probably going to to take a bit of a pause for the next two years because a lot of our graduating youth are our, our graduating youth are really the last of the youth group. So we're investing now in teenagers. We've had some uh, interns from Whitworth University here this summer. Uh, they are here at the moment and investing in our in our teenagers with us. Um, those kind of partnerships are very life giving and encouraging. Mm-hmm. So there's some great stuff on the horizon, and and uh, I think we just need to keep pushing in and trusting Him to to do things in His way and His time. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really great place to um, end this conversation or at least push pause. Um, I'm sure we'll talk again. Um, but I've um, been encouraged by your reflection, not only in your local context, but kind of the, the broader landscape of the church that we're in a fundamentally hopeful place. Um, I think that's, that's a unique and needed perspective. Um, so... Yeah, just thanks for the time, and um, I hope the people who get a chance to listen to this are as encouraged as I am. So thanks, Matt. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. Blessings. Blessings.